I recently spent some time with friends of mine who have two adult sons who have recently denied Christ. Though the signs have been present for a few years in the lives of these young men, both of these brothers just got honest about it within about a year of each other and requested official removal from the church membership and so on. And this couple, as I was talking with them, they told me about how they've been wrestling because of this, wrestling through serious doubt and anxiety. They're reminding themselves of all the things they did wrong as parents. And to help them with that, one of their sons actually wrote a letter detailing their every misstep. They've been regretting all the things they wish had been different. They're fighting the urge to blame one another, to rip apart their marriage. What most caught me off guard, though, as I talked to them, was that this situation has caused them to wrestle with their own faith in Christ. And it makes sense as I look back on it, but I wasn't expecting this. They've been wondering, was it worth it all those years to go to church, to teach the Bible to our kids, to pray with them? Was it worth it? Should we just give up the whole thing ourselves? This morning, we must ask ourselves a crucial question. Because every one of us will hit those moments of intense disappointment or depression or suffering or pain or loss or otherwise shattered expectations. And the question is this. When I hit that wall, will there be grace for me? In other words, will God's favor ever run out? Will God become so disappointed with me that I prove to have wasted my life and to have wasted his time? Will God love me as much on my last day as he did on the first day when I put my faith in Christ? This is now our third week considering the topic of grace. Grace is God's overflowing favor extended to those who deserve his curse. Grace is one of our church principles, one of the the foundation stones of our ministry. And we saw two weeks ago that in the beginning there was grace. Grace was God's plan from the very beginning of creation. And we saw last week that we have grace for today. And these are beautiful, comforting truths for all who believe in Jesus, that everything from your past has been washed clean. God has made you His beloved child, he has poured out his spirit on you. He has vanquished your sin. But to restate the crucial question for this morning, will that grace still be available to you tomorrow or the next day after that? Or how about next year, next decade, or on the very last day? Will God be sorry that he ever wasted his time on me? To answer these questions, we'll look at Revelation chapter 7. If you need a Bible, uh, we we have some Bibles available and outlines and pens. Is there someone who's able to help pass those out? Thanks, Dan. And if you need a, a Bible in the church Bible, we're on page 666. 
which is fitting for a sermon on Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 9, but I want to, want to give you a little bit of background, some context into this. The book of Revelation is a book of word pictures, all meant to show us who Jesus is. And the author of Revelation signals this from the very first sentence of the book. Revelation 1.1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is meant to show you Jesus and who he is. And according to the drama of the book, a lamb has appeared before, uh, in chapter 5, a lamb has appeared and proven to be the only one worthy to rule the world in God's name. If you need a Bible or an outline or a pen, you can get Dan's eye contact. He's coming around. The lamb is the only one worthy to rule the world in God's name. And of course, the lamb is a picture of Jesus who died and rose again. And the beginning of Revelation 7 shows a vision of a multitude of people who have been marked out by God's servants so that God's righteous judgments will pass over them and never harm them. And now we're going to start in verse 9. We learn more about who these people are, how they made it to the end, and what they will do when they reach the end of their lives. And we discover that it is always worth it to hope in God. My main point this morning is that the God of all virtue shares himself freely with his people. And because he shares himself, there will always be grace for them to worship, to persevere, and to be comforted. Because God shares himself freely, there will always be grace to worship, to persevere, and to comfort. Let me pray, and then I'll read our passage. Father in heaven, thank you for your word which teaches us about your grace. Give us mercy and wisdom and insight to understand what you have to teach us. Help us to see and, and to experience your grace. Help us to taste it now and every day that we might see it will never run out. We can never screw it up. Help us to uh, be filled with your spirit and to see Jesus more clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. 
They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We'll see three things in this passage. There will be grace to worship, to persevere, and to comfort. First, there will be grace to worship. In verse 9, the author of this, this book of visions, he sees a great multitude standing clothed and crying out. Who is this multitude? He says they are a group that no one could number. They were from every nation, and he further subdivides that. They were from all tribes and peoples and languages. So this is a group of people made up of individuals from all parts of the earth, and they are joined together before God's throne for a purpose. And we'll get to that purpose in just a second. But we, he tells us three things about this multitude we should see. First, he says they are standing before the throne. Second, they're clothed in white robes. And we'll see more on both of these things in a few verses. What this means that they're standing there and that they are clothed in white robes. And then he says, third, they have palm branches in their hands. Just like those who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as the conquering king. But then in verses 11 and 12, we then get to their purpose. The purpose for why this multitude has gathered before the throne, standing there, clothed in white robes, waving their palm branches. Their purpose is because they join with the angels and the elders and the living creatures who are there in heaven to worship God on the throne and to worship the Lamb. They ascribe to him all blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Verse 12. What does this mean? What does this vision mean? It means, first of all, that God knows exactly who his people are. There are so many of them that they cannot be counted. They come from every part of earth, from every type and flavor of humanity. And they join together for one purpose, to worship God through Jesus Christ. Their purpose is to worship God. God through Jesus Christ. Now, why is this significant? Imagine something with me. Imagine that God appears to you in a dream and he tells you that your great-grandchild will become president of the United States. What would that tell you? It would tell you many things. It would tell you that The United States, in fact, will survive the election of 2016. (laughs) That the Constitution will remain intact enough to still at least recognize the executive branch of government. It means that if you don't already, you will have a child. And that child will have a child. And that child will have a child. And it means that the entire multitude of details required to shape that end scenario, those details will all play themselves out in just the right way. In other words, you know that the end scene must come. Therefore, everything required to get you there must also come. Now, back to Revelation 7. When God shows us this scene that 
those who truly worship him now will worship him at the end altogether, it must mean that whatever is required to get us there will also happen. That means that God's grace cannot run out. Tomorrow and the next day and the next day, there will still be enough grace to get you to the end goal God has for you. That means your pain cannot prevent God's grace. Your mistakes cannot prevent God's grace. Your sorrow cannot prevent God's grace. The attacks and the abuse you suffer from others cannot prevent God's grace. There will be grace to worship. It will get you through to the last day. Now, you might be wondering something. Okay, this vision in Revelation 7, it makes it clear that there will be a multitude worshiping God on the last day. But it does not at all make it clear that I will be a part of that multitude. How can I know that I will be there and that I won't screw something up? And the answer to that question is the application I would like to draw from this, which is this. Remember the essence of worship. There will be grace to worship, but remember what worship is. Worship is ascribing value and worth to someone else. And notice what makes up the content of this multitude's worship. In verse 10, they are crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see this? When they get to the last day and they stand before the throne of God to serve Him day and night and they are clothed in pure white, waving their little branches, the heart of their song will be, You, O God, have brought us here. Salvation does not belong to us. It is not a product of our effort. It is not the case that we were wonderful people who did all the right things. We went to church. We read our Bibles. We rejected the lies of our day and age. No, that's not their song. Their song is, salvation belongs to our God. You, oh God, are responsible for getting us here. You have brought us here. You have made us your own. You have rescued us. You have preserved us to the very end. You and you alone get the credit for this numberless multitude. So friends, how do you know whether you will be there on the last day? If your you know it, if your God is big enough and strong enough to get you there. Whom do you worship? And if you worship the God who is strong enough to get you there, he'll get you there. When you hit the wall, when you hit those times of intense disappointment, ask God for the grace to worship him. If life hurts so bad that you, you just don't know what to do, Ask God for the grace to worship him. Just, just pick up your Bible and read. And if you don't know what to read or, or you're, yeah, you can't focus on it, then just sing something to God. And if you don't know what to sing, just 
Just pray. And if you don't know what to pray, that's okay. Just humble your heart, bow in silence, and groan. Oh, Lord, this is hard. I don't know what to do. Children, when you have a hard time and you don't know what to pray, you don't even know what to pray to God, just try this. Jesus, please help. And God's grace will get you through because His Spirit intercedes for you with groanings too deep for words. And because of Christ, your measly attempt to worship is acceptable. It is delightful to God. Salvation is not yours to accomplish. It belongs to our God. There will be grace to worship. Second, there will be grace to persevere. In verse 13, one of the heavenly elders asks who these people are. Who are these amazing, glorious people who stand, who are clothed, armed with palms and crying out? And the answer comes in verse 14. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Remember, these are people from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. This is all of humanity. People representing all of humanity. In other words, what he's saying is that these are the people who have made it to the end. These are those who didn't cave in or give up or turn back when they hit the wall. These are the ones who have finished their race. They have completed their course. These are the people who have persevered through everything the world, Satan, and the powers of hell could throw against them. Brothers and sisters, would you like to be a part of this multitude? Would you like to reach the end and not even slumping or crawling across the finish or barely surviving, but in the end, standing tall before the throne, shouting in triumph, ascribing all blessing, glory, honor, and power to God and to the Lamb? If you're here this morning and you don't yet identify with Christ, if you don't yet trust Him or haven't given your life to serve Him, would you consider joining this crowd? Every people and every nation will be represented. You're never too far gone to join this group. But if you don't join this group, you can go back and read chapter 6, the one right before this, to see what you have to look forward to. Being conquered, having no peace, among any community in which you dwell, being constantly robbed of everything you treasure, and dying eternally by sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. There is something better in store for you if only you will lay down your resistance and proclaim Jesus as your king. But if you want to join this numberless multitude, how do you make it to the end? How do you persevere through the difficulties, the warfare, the famine, the conflict, the suffering, all these things? You do it by holding on to three paradoxes. Three paradoxes. These things run counter to how the world operates. They run contrary to how you naturally think. But you have to grasp these three paradoxes. And if you do, you will persevere through any difficulty. You see them on your outline. Blood washes white, servants eat first, and the lamb becomes shepherd. Let's look at each of these. First, blood 
The first paradox is that blood washes white. Verse 14, the end of verse 14, he says, They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We saw in verse 9 that these people were clothed in white robes. Now we learn how they got those white robes. But think about this. Their robes have been made white in the blood of the Lamb. Now come on. We all know that blood ruins cloth, especially white cloth. When we bleed, we try not to get it on our clothes or on the furniture. And if it does get on, you have to run to the sink right away and douse it in cold water before the stain can set. But you see, Christianity runs contrary to this basic fact of human existence. Blood does not stain. It washes white. Blood does a better job than bleach at purifying your laundry. But you see, only if it's the right brand of blood. You can't go generic on this. Not just any blood will do. You see what what brand you need? You need the blood of the lamb. You need the blood of the lamb. What does this mean? The blood of the lamb is another one of these word pictures of the death of Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself as an acceptable sacrifice to our God. Jesus was the substitute who took our place. He died the death we ought to have died. We sinned against God. We have all turned away from him. We deserve God's righteous fury to be directed at us. But Jesus stepped in and took our place. He took our punishment and endured God's holy judgment for us. And he died for it. Don't ever forget this. Because of Jesus' death, you are clean. God will never hold your sin against you, even when you feel the crushing weight of that sin. It would go against God's unbreakable promise to hold that sin against you, if you trust in Christ. Whatever you face, you face it not as God's enemy, but as God's friend. Have you hit the wall? It's not because God is out to get you but it's because he loves you as a precious child. Blood washes white. You must grasp this paradox if you're going to persevere. Hold on to that truth. Blood washes white. But what motivates us to hold that paradox? It's the second paradox. Servants eat first. Servants eat first. This goes totally opposite once again, to the way the world works. But you must know this basic fact about God's kingdom. Verse 15 says that these people are before God's throne, serving him day and night. You see, these people are basically like the hired help. And typically, such people are meant to work in the shadows, giving of themselves for the sake of their benefactors. But do you see what the Lord says about them in verse 16? They shall hunger no more, neither will they thirst any more. This master takes care of his servants. He makes sure they get to eat first. They are treasured guests. They are beloved children. They are honored members of the family. They have seats at the king's table. They have a direct line to the king's ear, and they dwell in his own palace with him. In the world all around us, masters eat 
first and servants eat last. We know how that works. We see it all over the place. Executives get nicer perks and closer parking spaces while the rest of the workforce has to fend for themselves. Soldiers are the ones who shed their blood on the front lines while generals stay back in secure offices maneuvering the pieces as need requires. But friends, this must not be so among Christ's followers. Our master, our general, shed his blood for us. He now shelters us with his presence. He stays with us to the end, suffering what we suffer, hurting from what hurts us, being in agony over our agony. He walks with us to the end, and he knows what it is like to hit the wall. And then, amazingly, when we finally make it to the end with him, and we are not responsible for getting there, he gets full credit for bringing us through. The first thing he does is he brings us to his table, and he calls us to take and eat. He dumps the riches of his blessing on those who deserve his curse. This is grace. And there will always be this grace. When you hit the wall, you will make it through if you grasp the paradox that blood washes white and servants eat first in God's kingdom. And these things are possible only because of the third paradox which is that the lamb becomes shepherd. In verse 17, this is the key to this whole puzzle. This is the paradox of paradoxes that unravels the mysteries of the universe. The lamb becomes shepherd. Now, I'm no farmer, but Eric has helped me out, so I'm not as dumb as I look. I've learned a little bit about farming from this guy. I know enough about farming to know that sheep need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, the sheep will wander aimlessly and get themselves in trouble. They need a shepherd. Sometimes a dog will help as well. But you don't take the keys to the tractor and hand them over to one of the lambs. Say, here, you take it for a spin. You don't entrust the lambs with the code to unlock the gate to the sheep pen. They need a shepherd, but here in verse 17, we have the key factor that lies behind this numberless multitude. The lamb will be their shepherd. You see, here's a large group of people from all over the earth, and they willingly, gladly allow a lamb to guide them, to tell them what to do, to teach them where to go. They expect this lamb to take them to springs of living water the flowing, bubbling brooks that will refresh and sustain them in their thirst. So how about you? When you hit the wall, does the lamb become your shepherd? Sometimes it seems like it doesn't make any sense. Of course, by the lamb, I've said it multiple times, the lamb is a picture of Jesus Christ. It seems like it doesn't make any sense. Why would you claim to follow someone so long dead? Someone who was ancient, someone who was so far removed from our enlightened times. Someone who spoke and did things that no one in their right mind would ever speak or do. But this one fact makes all the difference between those who make it to the end and those who don't. 
those who follow the Lamb, those who follow their Master Jesus Christ, will in the end find him to know exactly what he is doing. And he will give you what nobody else can, the life and peace and satisfaction and the joy of entering God's throne room and receiving the King's blessing and protection once and for all. And if you're not sure he can actually do that, go back and look at chapter 5. He is The Lamb is the only one who is worthy to take God's kingdom and to rule with grace and with justice. There will be grace. There will always be grace. And this grace enables you to persevere through the difficulties of life. When you hit the wall, please turn away from yourself and turn toward your Lord. As you do, you can draw on the power of these three paradoxes, and they will fuel your journey through your tribulation and on to the end. Blood washes white. I am clean. Servants eat first. I am loved. The lamb becomes shepherd. He'll get me there. And when you get to the end, it will have all been worth it because of our final point. There will be grace to comfort. The end of verse 17 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What an amazing statement. It does not say there will be no tears. It does not say that, that these are the people who, who have toughened up and, and you will get over your tears and learn to hold them back. And it doesn't say that your spouse or your best friend or your doctor or your mother or your son will wipe away those tears. God will wipe away every tear. What an intimate picture of a supremely personal God. Think about what you have been through already in life and perhaps fear for what is yet to come. As I look on my own life and and I think of this passage, I've endured decades of brash and abusive family conflict. I have endured people ridiculing my decision to pursue a career in ministry. I had a judge once accuse me of perjury and of being an unfit parent when I wanted to adopt my twin sons. I've had longtime friends who suddenly and inexplicably turned against me and started attacking me for things I hadn't done. I have suffered many, many unpleasant consequences from all the wildly foolish and evil acts I've committed in my life. I've suffered a week of homelessness after a guy tried to sell me a house he didn't own. I suffer a chronic yet unknowable sleep disorder, persistent eye problems. We have home education challenges, marital conflicts. I currently have a wife temporarily debilitated by a broken tailbone and other child labor-related injuries. And those are just the few things I'm comfortable sharing with you in public. And I wonder, what more lies ahead? God, when is it going to end? What other dark valleys will God expect us to walk through? What will you face 
in the years to come? And what will get us through these things? What grace can we expect at the end of it? The grace you can expect is simply this. Every tear has been duly noted and recorded in the ledger. It will not be forgotten. Those tears have been bottled up to remind the Lord God of what it cost his people to follow him. And on the last day when you stand before his great throne, the King of Kings, all decked out in royal garb and shining in the brightness of his majestic glory, will rise from his throne and draw close to you. He will reach out his hand, perhaps with hanky at the ready, and he will dry you off. It doesn't matter how much of a wreck you are. It doesn't matter if you're trembling in fear or agony. It doesn't matter if you can barely breathe because your heart races from the exertion of the journey, what it took to get there. It doesn't matter if you collapsed in front of him from sheer exhaustion. Your king will be delighted to see you. He'll throw his arms around you. He will clean you off. And with four words, he'll make sure you know it was all worth it. Well done. And welcome home. Is it worth it to you to worship this king? Is it worth it to persevere to the end? Is it worth it to find such comfort at the end of a lifelong trip? Friends, there will be grace for these things. There will always be grace. Let us as Christians never stop believing it. And let us as a church never stop proclaiming it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this amazing, glorious picture. Father, help us to understand the extent of your grace, that your grace has not only brought us this far, your grace will lead us home. Whatever happens, we cannot disqualify ourselves from your grace. We are never so good that we don't need your grace. We are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of your grace. Help us to have the grace we need to worship. Please give us the grace we need to persevere. And please grant us the grace of your comfort along the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.